right. Thank you for joining us, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Cornell Review Roundtable Discussion Podcast. I'm Joe Silverstein, the Editor-in-Chief. My name is Samuel Kim. I'm the Managing Editor. My name is Quinn Automotive. I'm I'm Roland Molina. I cover military affairs. All right, guys. So today what we're going to be talking about is the SAFC donating $10,000 to an organization called Cornell Students for Black Lives, which is basically a league of various clubs on campus and various organizations on campus, uh, which send the money they collect to various sources, including the Black Lives Matter chapter of New York. So this was something that was done unilaterally. It was done without the consent of the governed. And most importantly, this was done with our mandatory fees. This wasn't done with an optional donation. This was taken from the money that's collected from our mandatory student fee, uh, which was hiked very significantly, by the way, at the beginning of the semester. So what are your thoughts on that? And um, let's get into it. Sam, start us off. Go ahead. Yeah. So first of all, absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm not going to, I mean, like, you know, there was an article written about this uh, in the paper um, and the author of that article, uh, Mr. Bauer, um, didn't uh, talk about like whether or not the cause that um, uh, was being donated to was right or not. But let's look at um, uh, the greater uh, New York BLM chapter. On a national interview that uh, one of the leaders of the BLM of um, Black Lives Matter movement of Greater New York said that if America doesn't give us what we want, we're going to burn the entire system down. In my opinion, that sounds like insurrection. Um, and like, you know, you see all these uh, BLM protesters uh, going out and um, saying that the Confederate generals were insurrectionists and we shouldn't celebrate that. Then, okay, why are those same people on our campus advocating and really crying out for the blood of someone who said that the SAFC should not um, contribute this money to not even an organization, like a campaign, which is going to donate money to a, by now and what we know to be an insurrectionist political movement? It absolutely makes no sense. And I also agree with the author of that article that, um, I would be also upset if um, the SAFC gave funds to uh, Planned Parenthood, to the Right to Life organization, uh, to every town, or even to the NRA or GOA. Like, I think that students' money should not be used for, uh, to prop up political campaigns. On the other hand, if they use that money to finance initiatives, uh, even like you know, at the Johnson School of Business, um, they're actually trying to support Black-owned businesses and create more internships for African-Americans. I totally support that. They should donate that money maybe to those causes because um, those will actually create systemic solutions, uh, not just um, uh, politically, but also uh, in our communities and our, in our society. So why the SAFC did this, I don't know, but I think this was an absolutely terrible move on their part. Well, and just to add on to what you said, it's certainly a form of almost compelled speech. The Supreme Court ruled in the Citizens United decision 
they ruled that money is speech and donating to political campaigns is a form of speech. And ultimately, this money was funneled to the Black Lives Matter chapter of New York, like you said, the leader of which was on a Fox News interview threatening to burn down the system. Now, this is a man that should be prosecuted for inciting riots across state lines with that kind of a statement, because he went on to elaborate when she said, what do you mean burn down the system? Do you mean figuratively or do you mean literally? And he said, I can be speaking literally, I could be speaking figuratively. So this is a man who should be uh, put in handcuffs and prosecuted for inciting riots across state lines. That being said, our money went to his organization, which was then donated and forwarded much of it to the Bernie Sanders for president campaign. So why am I a Republican, a conservative, someone who believes in free markets, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Why is my money forcibly being donated to Bernie Sanders without my consent, without my knowledge, without my consultation? And you know what? Someone ought to bring a lawsuit against the university for this. Quinn, what's your thoughts? Right. Well, so as it relates to uh, SAFC funding political organizations, there are political organizations on campus. I mean, we're all members of the Cornell Republicans. That's a political organization. There's also, you know, Cornell Democrats. So there are political organizations that do get funding from SA, right? And I don't think that's necessarily an issue in and of itself, but it seems like this funding was given pretty specifically to donate to an outside of Cornell organization, one that is pretty openly a Marxist organization reading directly from their website. They use the, the phrase comrades a lot. They talk about wanting to disrupt the Western nuclear family, which, uh, you know, in and of itself has uh, pretty significant impacts for, you know, that kind of statement. And so when we look, look at that, I look, I wouldn't support uh, the SA funding a political organization that I agree with, even if it was one I agree with on principle, I would certainly, I think I'm, I'm big enough to admit that I would be less uh, peeved at that. If, uh, even if it was, you know, giving, it's something that was more in the middle of the road, I still wouldn't support it on principle, but I think that there would be less of an issue than something with that, than giving to an organization that's pretty bipartisan or partisan, that's pretty much a directly again a specifically marxist group a pretty aggressive group i think that we can say all right that's that's a bit of an overstep for sure and also to add on to that the founder of the group one of the co-founders was filmed saying that she's a marxist was filmed saying that they employ marxist strategies and marxist teachings the whole point of the organization the black lives matter organization because again just to be clear no one disagrees with the statement that Black Lives Matter. Of course they do. But it's the political organization behind it that's behind the marches, that's behind calls to abolish the police department, that's behind calls to end the capitalist system, that's founded by Marxists. That's what we have the problem with. And why is this not called out? And even the peaceful protesters chanting SMD, NYPD, which to those of you who don't know what SMD means, go on the Urban Dictionary. It's something that's very vulgar and very inappropriate. So it's something that my money shouldn't be supporting these organizations, shouldn't be supporting, as Sam said, the insurrection of the United States of America, because this is what this is. This is an open revolution on the country. They've burnt the American flag. They've taken it down. They've taken over uh, blocks and cities and called them autonomous zones. It's an absolutely ridiculous thing. They've 
smashed George Washington statues and Abraham Lincoln statues. These aren't Confederate statues. These are the founders of this country. Sam, jump in, and then we'll go straight to Rowland. Ironic thing. Here's the ironic thing. They call themselves Marxists, but if we look at their tactics, they fit the definition of fascists. Fascism, um, if you actually study the origins of fascism, it's sacrificing your individuality in the interest of forwarding um, the state, forwarding the state, which would be a group of people, um, having this collectivist ideology. And what we look at, um, especially um, what we see on social media nowadays, um, not just BLM, but um, other organizations and even people who I knew very well in high school, they're encouraging um, people to distance themselves from family members who refuse to donate money to the BLM movement. You also see uh, people uh, using violent means, um, even encouraging uh, violence um, by um, posting that horrific video of a police officer being slammed into by a vehicle and saying like, you know, I can't believe this is the day when we see like pigs fly. These are terrible statements. Um, And this idea that we're seeing this increased use of violence, this denial of um, individuality in favor of adhering and attaching yourself to this collective movement. This is something that um, if you saw the Reddit post, from r slash Cornell, you're seeing a lot of uh, traditional liberal students who support some of the aims of BLM, but don't like their tactics. They're actually starting to push back. They're starting to say, well, this is not what we as a campus should be supporting. Well, I think we can, we can certainly talk about, you know, using, using Marxist tactics. I think that's an important thing to get, in, get into, but in this may be a little bit of a tangent, but I mean, again, even just the goal, open admitted goals of the of the organization blm right that their policy positions i mean a lot of this stuff would it would be absolutely disastrous for black americans right again i go back to uh the issue of how they say you want to disrupt the nuclear family well you know there's that quote from thomas Sowell that i bring up all the time because i think it's absolutely fantastic that slavery and jim crow did uh we're not able to sorry that the welfare state did what slavery and Jim Crow never could, that they destroyed the black family, right? We look at it that, uh, I think, what is it, 80% of black kids grow up without a dad? And we look at the negative impacts that fatherless homes have. Well, if you care about black lives, why do you want more of that? Why do you want more black kids growing up without a dad? That's horrific. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, BLM supports, you know, things like open borders, right? If you guys remember back to that uh, poultry plant in Mississippi that got raided by ICE, right? And then one of their, their, uh, you know, plants that was owned by the same company, they got cold feet. They fired the illegal aliens who were working there. And the workforce went from, you know, majority illegal aliens to majority black almost overnight, right? So things like legal immigration, mass immigration, that's hurting black people more than anyone else. And yet this organization supports it. So again, you have to, so, but you say, oh, well, I'm not a fan of the organization. Oh, what, you not think Black Lives Matter? No, it's because I do, because I want the best thing for all Americans, including Black Americans, that I say, look, I look at these policies. These hurt people. This this legitimately has real world consequences that are incredibly destructive. I want to oppose that. I want to have people being able to have good jobs. I want people to be able to have strong families. That's a future for America that I want. 
for all Americans, and this organization doesn't support that. Absolutely. Rylan, let's go to you. I think uh, going back to the root of the problem, the SAFC diverting funds to BLM, um, obviously, I think, it, I think it can go without saying that there's a lot of different opinions on BLM. Uh, it is very much a political organization with political motives. And I don't think it's the SAFC's place to donate to a political organization that can be considered so divisive. Now, that being said, Black Lives Matter itself, the idea that there is that there are issues disproportionately affecting African Americans, I don't think we can disagree with that. You know, the, for people to feel marginalized to the point where they feel they have to become violent, to the point that they feel that they have to go out into the street and protest, you know, there's clearly something wrong in this country. And we have to let those people be heard. However, we cannot let them be heard through looting, through destruction, through violence. Um, and unfortunately, BLM has very much become the face of that. I do not think that it's the SAFC's place to donate to an organization like that with our funds. Um, because then they're speaking for the student body as a whole, not for their individual values. For sure. And one of the things I want to add on to that, if any of the money is going to bail funds, which I'm sure it ultimately will, that's financing the destruction of black lives. That's financing the destruction of black businesses. I see all these woke people on Instagram, on social media that think they're doing a service to the African-American community by donating to quote unquote freedom funds. Most of the people getting arrested are the people doing bad things, are the people throwing rocks through windows, looting, robbing, burning, setting cities on fire. And you're bailing those people out if you're donating to those funds. And we're, as a consequence, bailing those people out because of the organizations that the SAFC has chosen to donate to. And it's financing the destruction of black lives that they claim to care about. It's ridiculous, it's un-American, and it's something that's a big problem. To the point, certainly, there are legitimate concerns that the African-American community has, and we as conservatives have to address those through promoting school choice, through promoting free market policies. And I don't wanna make this political because it's a talking point, and I don't do talking points, but the fact of the matter is all of these cities where the lives are so bad for so many African-Americans are run by democratic legislators, democratic mayors. So I don't understand the push to say, vote for change, vote for change. They should vote for change, but BLM means it in the other direction, means more of the same, more Bill de Blasio, letting crime skyrocket in New York City over 400% compared to last week doubling compared to last year. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's anarchy. This isn't the United States of America. And it goes to one of the points that Sam wanted to raise about the division now between classical, traditional, old school Democrats, old school liberals, people who are committed to freedom of speech, people who are committed to American values versus what has now risen today, which is leftism, which is Marxism, neo-Marxism. It failed economically. Now they're trying it socially and culturally. So Sam, speak to that if you may. 
Yeah. So like, you know, one of the ways and like kind of um, jumping off of Roland's point, like there are legitimate concerns among uh, people of color communities. And like, you know, I, I think um, one of the great uh, Republican senators who's been uh, involved in trying to start those discussions is Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. He introduced his police reform bill, um, which I think um, is much better than the Democrats plan uh, in the House. But at the same time, we see this divide between the classical liberals, um, those who actually want to create policies that work, and those who are unfortunately using uh, George Floyd's tragic death for political gain. Um, one of the ways that we see, see this is actually on the vote for Tim Scott's Justice Act. Even though Tim Scott offered up 20 different amendments to satisfy the Democrats' demands, Senators Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Dick Durbin, and Chuck Schumer decided not to um, break cloture and uh, allow um, the bill to come to the floor, which shows that you know, this isn't uh, for, for uh, a lot of people on the left. I'm not saying everyone on the left, because that would be a very unfair statement. But for a lot of people uh, in Washington, solving this these issues is not in their best interest, apparently. Um, it's actually about um, creating more political delay so that they can make a bigger deal out of this issue. And instead of going to conference, like passing the GOP bill, passing the Democratic bill, going to conference, resolving the differences, and then passing the revised bill, and then sending um, that bill uh, to the president, this is all about playing politics. And that's what separates the classical liberal, even on Cornell's campus, who want to get stuff done, who want to reform the essay, who want to help black lives, versus the people who um, commented on the article who said, um, and I quote, just admit that you hate black people which is terrible. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Roland, do you want to jump in? And I'd like to just add very quickly, Pelosi accused the Republicans in the Senate of trying to get away with murder, which is a ridiculous thing to say, especially when the effort on police reform in the Republican party is being led by a black man. So to tell anyone that they're trying to get away with a murder in which they had no part in is ridiculous, but it's especially tone deaf. The fact that she's saying it about Tim Scott, Roland, go ahead. We can't hear you. Just to hit on what Sam said again, it is absolutely ridiculous that we have um, the Democratic Party refusing to be bipartisan at all on this issue. They want to come out as the heroes to this entire problem, which is, you know, it occurs in Democratic cities far and wide these looting, these riots, these officers killing black men, it happens in Democratic-led cities. And yet they want to come out like the shining knight on the hill because they want to make their prospects for 2020 look better. Whereas we have a president who served um, as a political leader, what, four years. Joe Biden has been bought and paid for for nearly 50 years. Pelosi, nearly 50 years. Schumer, nearly 50 years. And they're going to blame the new guy when they've been on the Hill for so long. It 
very it, it is very difficult for me to comprehend that they think that they're going to come out on top that they think they're going to be the heroes and the people that support them i feel are um are very blind to this they're not thinking rationally they're just being led by their emotions and um i i i feel um i have a very hard time believing that this nation is uh, gonna go forward from this without further violence well that's certainly troubling but it's something i hate to agree with that inclination but I suppose it's it's likely. I don't think that this will end peacefully. And it's already not peaceful. Crime is already way up in the cities. Murder, uh, rape, robbery, all these things statistically are way up. And it's very troubling. Let's go to Quinn. Yeah, so I'd like to jump back onto the, the issue of police reform. Because reform, I, I think that is certainly a part of this conversation. And something that's been been bugging me for a bit in regards to police performance certain and the cases right now that are people are pointing to, right? A big one is the death of Breonna Taylor, right? The gun, the pro-gun community, right? The Second Amendment, gun rights, gun rights people. We were talking about that. I wrote about Breonna Taylor before it became she became a uh, a BLM uh, case du jour, right? I we were all talking about that. We were saying, look at how, uh, you know, no-knock raids are being abused. We need, you know, better police training, which incidentally means you need to give more money so that you can hire, say you're going to be able to have salaries for better police officers, that you can recruit for people who are better suited for those jobs, that you can give them more training, right? And so we were saying, look, this is an example of why we need police reform. And now this uh, Marxist organization has, has said, oh, well, this is an, an example of, of you know X Y Z oh well, you didn't care about about her you know when she when she died you didn't care about this this then right I'm all for getting some actual police reform that would help I'm all for increasing training all right for being more selective with you know no knock raids it's part of the reason I don't support red flag laws right because I recognize that there are issues in policing that will lead to their abuse right. We, so if we want to actually reform police, great. Let's work on that. Let's work on getting better recruits. Let's work on increasing training. There are plenty of things we can do, do that don't involve just defunding the police, right? That don't involve just burning this all to the ground. And again, that would be absolutely horrific. Again, if you want to look at who is defunding the police going to hurt the most, it's not going to hurt these, uh, you know, millionaire liberals in their gated communities. It's not going to hurt the talking heads on CNN who are able to hide away in their mansions behind their armed security. It's not going to hurt them. It's all right. Again, it's going, just like with all these things that I've been talking about today, just like with the issue of no dads in the home, just like, all right, it's going to hurt black Americans the most if you get rid, if you just get rid of all the police. It's going to hurt actual people. So let's instead, let's work on trying to do something substantive, something that will actually help, right? Let's try and work on getting more police who are from, you know, black neighborhoods who are, right? Getting that, right? Recruiting from there, getting them into the, into the department. So you can say, look, you know, I grew up in this neighborhood. I'm familiar with it. I'm going to be able to, better able to police it, right? That would be a great step forward. That would be something productive, all right? 
more money towards training. All these things would be more productive. People talk about the militarization of police. Part of that's in response to the militarization of criminals. You know, you look at, you know, Mexican cartels. I realize that's a topic for another day. But, and part, but part of that is because police have very little money, right? Police fun, funding is actually relatively low compared to what all the stuff they have to do. So they need cheap equipment. Well, where do you get cheap equipment? Well, the uh, Defense Department will sell you an armored personnel carrier for 3500 bucks, or you can spend $5,000 to uh, fix up what you currently have. Well, you're going to do that. You're going to, right, they, you know, you get sold surplus M4s and surplus uniforms, surplus military equipment, because there's a lack of funding for police, all right? I don't want this to, you know, just go to, uh, you know, police unions or whatnot. I want this to actually go to something useful, but that it would be an important step forward. These are things that would really help people. Absolutely. And the abuse the police have had to take over the last month, month and a half is really just disturbing. But to your point about reforms, certainly I like body cameras because body cameras protect the citizens and the officers. Uh, for example, the body cameras should have protected the officers in the incident in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Unfortunately, we have a DA there that's a political hack, so that didn't happen. But that's a specific instance, and there's not the time to go into it on this episode. But that being said, I certainly support body cameras. I support some type of a register of legitimate, credible complaints against officers like Derek Chauvin, for example, had many complaints against him prior to the incident that ultimately led to the death of George Floyd. So credible instances uh, and uh, incidents should certainly be recorded. And there's other things we could work on, improving training. If the police had training in not just advanced shooting training, because they only go, they do shooting training once every 10 years. It's a very minimal amount of shooting training that they do. But that being said, though, they also don't have a lot of martial arts training. That's a very big thing to give them Brazilian jiu-jitsu training, judo training, boxing training, so that they don't, they don't, so that they understand the holds that they're employing. Sometimes things like a chokehold is necessary to protect the officer involved in making an arrest against someone who's violent. If the officers in Georgia uh, had put a chokehold on the man and knew how to properly use it, they could have subdued him as opposed to him grabbing the taser and beating them up and shooting the taser at them. And what happened happened. So if you had officers that were better trained in hand-to-hand combat, they, there would be a reduction of force. They wouldn't need to use their firearms as much. So that's something to look into as well. But these phrases that all cops are bastards or some of these more horrible things that are going around are just totally unacceptable and have no place in American discourse or in any discourse. But unfortunately, I think that there's, there's really three groups at play here. There's really three groups at play, and we understand this. There's the peaceful protesters who legitimately want moderate reforms who are outraged by the George Floyd incident. Then there's protesters who are radicals who want to totally abolish the police. And they're a significant number. And there's people who are violent looters. And then there's the anarchists that just want to burn down the whole system and take advantage of this opportunity. And they're really what's happened now is, and it's been happening on the left for years, and it's been the attempt for years to form a coalition of quote unquote marginalized groups and quote unquote oppressed people, which in 2020, there's certainly still the remnants of historical oppression. There's certainly still difficult things that African-Americans have to deal with. But that being said, there's no law on the books in 2020 that actively oppresses anyone. 
so what you have now is groups who are, who are told they're victims by the left wing that are forming together, revolting against the country that they've been told all their lives was evil. And they've been told, told it in K through 12, in academia, especially in the colleges. And it's really an indoctrination camp. Uh, let's go to Sam to take us away with the final thoughts. Yeah, ironically, um, I'd have to disagree uh, on one part. I think the um, laws that actually oppress uh, people of color communities are the laws that created our welfare state. I think those are the laws that actually have actually um, disproportionately hurt uh, POC communities. On the other hand, I think like, you know, um, one thing uh, that I'd like to leave off on, and this could be a topic of a future podcast, is like, what should our government's response be? Like I see President Trump tweeting all the time, law and order, law and order, law and order. He does these town halls with Sean Hannity in, uh, I believe, Green Bay, Wisconsin and other places. But at the same time, like, yes, he signed that executive order. But what steps could he take to, um, number one, um, promote law and order? And number two, how can he, um, congressional Republicans and other conservatives all across the country, like how can we better sell our plan for growth, for development, for improvement, not just um, for POC communities, but for all communities across the United States. So I think that's something that we really need to work on in the future. Certainly, I agree with that. And I certainly agree with the comments with regard to the welfare state that have hurt the African-American community. We're going to leave it there, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Cornell Review Roundtable Discussion.